June is Patron Appreciation Month. This month, I'm giving patrons a complimentary copy of the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. I created this course with my CPA dad, and it currently sells for $199. But patrons get lifetime access in June as my way of saying thank you. You can become a patron of the show at novelmarketing.com patron. I'll have more info at the end. Now, on to the episode. Your email list is a crucial part of growing your platform. Whether you're trying to impress a publisher or reach your readers as an indie author, the best way to do it for most authors is via email. And one of the most common questions we get on this show is, how do I grow my email list? It's a topic we talk about a lot. I'll have links in the show notes to episodes on how to create an onboarding sequence, how to pick the right email marketing service, how to help authors get more email subscribers, how to grow your list with a quiz, and a whole bunch more. But today, I'm very excited to talk with an author who grew his list from zero subscribers to 6,000 subscribers in one year. And if you're wondering, how can I create those kinds of results for myself? This is the episode for you. This is Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., the Vulcan of book marketing, and I am really excited to talk with our guest today. He is currently pitching his book, and he has publishers interested. I think we can say that uh, several publishers interested in his book, in no small part due to the fact of how quickly he grew his email list. Jason Porterfield, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you, Thomas. It's great to be on the show with you today. So tell us a little bit about how you got started. Sure. So I'm a longtime listener of this podcast. And, you know, over the the years, I've heard you harp on a few main points. Number one, your book's got to have a unique concept. You got to work on the craft of writing. And then third, you got to grow a platform. And for years, I listened uh, to this podcast and I thought, okay, yep, I'm working hard to get a unique concept for my book. And I worked really hard to grow in the craft of writing, but I just nodded my head about needing to grow a platform. And I never actually got around to doing it until one day, I think in February of last year, 2020, I did some writing coach sessions with a literary agent that you're familiar with, Rochelle Gardner. And she did what a writing coach should do. She said, hey, your concept is unique. Good job. Your writing is good enough. Good job. What you need to work on is your platform. And I thought, (laughs) ah, I know, I know, I need a platform. And I didn't really know how to do that. You know, COVID hit right at that time, and we all get locked down, so I couldn't do speaking engagements. And so she suggested create a reader magnet. And so I knew from this show enough about a reader magnet. And so I thought, what can I do? So I I took my proposal that I already had written up, and I looked at my target audience that I had listed there. And I also looked at future book ideas that I had in that proposal. And I thought, what could I create as a reader magnet that would be attractive, that would attract the kind of readers I'm wanting for my first book? So my book goes through Holy Week and looks at how Jesus contended for peace on each day, how he confronted injustice, how he called out oppressors, and how he worked for peace. So my primary audience are those who are passionate about social justice, peacemaking, nonviolence, etc. There's certainly a secondary audience, those interested in Easter, Holy Week, the cross. But my primary audience, and the audience that I intend to continue to write other books on the same topic, is that of peacemakers, those interested in justice. 
So then, looking at my future book idea, I thought, why don't I kill two birds with one stone and create a reader magnet that is going to be some of the research I plan to do for a chapter in that future book. And so I wanted to create a reader magnet that would be unique, that no one else had done. So ultimately, my reader magnet is entitled 100 Early Christian Quotes on Not Killing. So that will be some of the content for a chapter in that later book. And it's attractive for those who are interested in justice and peacemaking. And a reader magnet, we've thrown around this term quite a bit. I'll have a link to an episode all about what they are and how to make them. But the short answer is a reader magnet is a short kind of free gift that people get immediately as a thank you for subscribing to the email list. And one of the things that we talk about is that you want the bait to fit the fish. And what I love about your idea is you're targeting pacifists, right? Right, Which is seems like a really small niche, but that's exactly what you're looking for as an author, right? There's a lot of pacifists out there. They may not know who each other are, but they're looking for things that support their ideas and or, or maybe they're curious about pacifism. And so a reader magnet that's 100 quotes about not killing, it's going to turn away the people who aren't going to like you, right? Most people, I imagine, are looking at that and they're like, no, not for me. And, and you may think, oh, that's a failed reader magnet. But no, that's actually exactly what you want. You want the reader magnet to attract the right kind of fish. Because if you got a bunch of people who were very against your thinking and you brought them in with a, let's say, a giveaway free Kindle, right? You got all these Kindle people who like Kindles or who like getting a free iPad or something. And a whole bunch of them don't like you, don't like your book. Some of them don't like that you're a pacifist. Some of them don't like that you're a Christian, right? And suddenly you've got all these negative reviews and all these people don't like your book because you gave away the wrong reader magnet. Whereas this is, I suspect, the right kind of bait for the fish. So you took the research that you were going to do for your book already. You created a PDF, I'm assuming, of the quotes. Correct. Yep. 17-page PDF. Yep. Okay, perfect. So it's a good length. It feels like something worth downloading without being overwhelming. So then what did you do? You have the PDF. It's sitting on your hard drive. How did you get people to want this PDF? Yeah, good question. So first off, you know, I took two, three weeks off working on my book and worked really hard on this, you know, finding the best quotes I could find, packaging it in a way that's visually well presented. Then I went to Fiverr, which you've suggested that resource before, to have someone develop or create a two-dimensional picture for the cover. And uh, it wasn't that great, to be honest, but it gave me enough ideas that I could do some tweaks myself in Photoshop and get a better looking cover. And then online, you can get free what are called 3D book mock-up files. You can also pay for someone on Fiverr to do this. And that takes your two-dimensional picture for your cover and makes it look like a 3D book. So if you've seen pictures of people's books resting on a coffee table with a coffee cup next to it, it's probably a 3D book mock-up that just imposes their cover on that fake 3D book. So that was to get the image. And we can go from there and talk about actually then how I used Facebook ads to grow my email list if you want. Yeah, but this is a really important point. Creating a PDF is boring and ugly looking all by itself. People may really enjoy the text, but you can't put a picture of text on an ad. You can't put it on your website. That doesn't get readers excited. And so getting a cover, you may be like, why do I have to get a cover? I'm already getting a cover for my book. Why do I need a cover for my reader magnet? You absolutely need a cover for your reader magnet. And I will say on Fiverr, and when I'm doing an important project, I'll often hire two or three different Fiverr folks to do the same project (laughs) because you never know who will do the best job because it's so cheap, right? You're paying $20 a design or $25 a design. You can get four designs from four different designers for a hundred bucks. But yeah, it is kind of hit and miss and not all of the 
quality is there, but it's definitely cheaper than going something more expensive. There are more expensive options, and if you have more budget, you might explore it. But getting something for Fiverr to get you started and then building on it from there, totally solid strategy. So you have your 2D version of the cover. You have a 3D that makes it feel like a real product 3D version of the cover. So now the question is, all right, I've made it look attractive. I know who it's for. So now it's a matter of putting it in front of the right people. So how did you do that? Yeah, so there are free ways to get it in front of people. So, you know, I created a post for my Facebook page that basically was going to ultimately be my the same ad that I send out. And I pinned, I think is the word they use, pinned that post. So it's always at the top of the page. That's a free way to get it in front of people. Uh, I promote it on my website. Anyone that goes and reads a blog article of mine or goes to my site, it will pop up not in an obnoxious way, but there'll be a pop-up ad one time for them uh, after they've been there for a little while asking if they want to join. So that's a free way. So you want to always utilize the free options first. But ultimately, how I grew my list from zero to 6,000 was using Facebook ads to do that. Because it's really hard when you're starting from scratch. You can't get word of mouth working for you if you don't have anyone talking initially it's really easy to get stuck in your own social circle, which is limited by demographics and geography and psychographics. And Facebook is a really good way, or advertising in general, really, is a good way of reaching people more broadly. But before we get to Facebook ads, tell us a little bit about the pop-up. What tool are you using on your website to power the pop-up? Yeah, so I believe most email service providers, that would be like MailChimp, ConvertKit, MailerLite, I think is the one you recommend the most. They often will have a plugin if you have a WordPress site, which I would encourage you to have a WordPress site. Preach, uh, they preach. Often have, <laughs> they, they often have plugins where you can have them do a subscription form for them to join one of your mailing lists that you've created. So that's how I do it for my pop-up. My email service provider, which is actually none of those mailer lights, so I use one <laughs> called MooSend. But it had a subscription plugin, and you can do it as a pop-up. And so that's how I did it. There, there's other plugins you can use. This is the nice thing about WordPress is that it plays nice with others. Every single email service has a plugin for WordPress, or at least every one that I've interacted with. Because WordPress is so popular, it runs, I think, 40 or 45% of the internet runs on WordPress, and their next biggest competitor is at like 1% or 2%. So like WordPress is like wow. basically the thing. And since it's so big, everybody works with WordPress. And it's kind of like all of the apps run on iPhone, right? But not all of them run on Android, right? <laughs> Certain apps yeah. only run on iPhone right now, where iPhone gets it first. The same is true with WordPress, or everybody can work with Microsoft Word, maybe is a better metaphor. So even if they don't use Microsoft Word themselves, their word processor can create Word documents and open Word documents because so many other people use Microsoft Word. So it's just one of the many benefits of using WordPress. And so you're using your email service providers, built-in plugins, a really inexpensive, very simple way to do it. There are advantages down the road once you have multiple reader magnets. You know, I imagine as you write more books and you create more reader magnets, there are advantages using a more advanced plugin like Bloom. But for what you're doing right now, just for a single pop that, you know, waits to pop, hopefully it waits, so it doesn't pop right away, but, you know, it waits 30 seconds or a minute to pop. And then when somebody hides it, it stays hidden. A non-evil pop-up using your uh, ESP or email service providers plugin, totally legitimate way to do it. And the plugins have gotten better when it comes to making pop-ups. So you did all of the free things. And let me guess, you got, you know, a few dozen, maybe a few hundred signups with the free methods. Is that a good estimate? You're a prophet. You got it. Yes. <laughs> That's about the number I've got. So just a trickle coming in, not much. 
Okay, and so you're like, this trickle is not going to impress anybody. I need to start spending some money and get in front of more people. And one of the things I talk about in the course Obscure No More, I talk about this marketing funnel where there's, if you kind of picture an upside down pyramid, you have at the top attract, and then in the middle you have engage, and then you have at the bottom convert, or getting people to know who you are, like you, and trust you. Right? This is kind of marketing 201 type material. It's really common. I didn't invent this. <laughs> I don't know who did. Everybody talks about the marketing funnel and uh, attract, engage, and convert. And for a lot of authors, especially if you're first getting started, your biggest challenge is that no one knows who you are. And, it, and for a lot of authors, they spend too much time working on engagement, trying to engage the people who do know who they are, rather than just getting strangers to know who they are. And so one really fast way of introducing yourself to strangers is with advertising. The downside is it costs money. So uh, hopefully you're willing to talk a little bit about the money that you spent. So you're like, okay, I'm pulling out my checkbook. I'm going to spend some money. I'm going to buy some ads. What happens next? Yeah, great question. So, you know, you've said on this podcast so many times, the email list is the top piece of your platform, right? And I found using Facebook ads is the primary way for a first-time author who doesn't already have a big following to grow that email list. So you have to have a Facebook page, not just a personal profile. Hopefully you already have that as an, having an author page. You also have to have a payment method set up. So that's all the prep work. And then you go to what's called Ads Manager. You can find that through going through the settings section, or you can just type Ads Manager like you're doing a Google search, and it'll show you the link to get there. In Ads Manager, you'll create your ad. Now, there are 11 different types of ads depending on what your objective is. So if you're just trying to get awareness out there and you're just trying to get the most number of people to see your ad, you might do what's called like a reach ad. But for getting people to join your mailing list, you're going to use one of two types of ads. One's called a lead generation ad, which I'll just call lead ads from now on. And the other one is called a conversion ad. Both are good. I ultimately settled on lead ads. And let me explain, if I can, the pros and cons of both. Yeah. So the conversion and the lead ad both look the same initially. Someone's scrolling through their newsfeed and Facebook or Instagram, and they see the ad. It will have an image. It will have a little write-up description. It will have a button you know, saying download or sign up. A call to action, grab your free copy. The ad's going to look the same. Once they click the button, download, right, or get it now, then it changes. With a conversion ad, it will take them to a landing page you've created on your website. And usually a landing page, you make it so they can't do anything but one one objective, sign up to get your reader magnet. So you'll have to have a subscription form there where they type in their name, their email address, and then you get them the reader magnet. With a lead ad, you stay in Facebook, and when you click that button, download, it brings up the next part of the ad, and it's optimized, it's fast, it's ready for mobile devices, and you tell it what information you want to collect. So I only do first name and email. I want to make it as the least amount of friction, right? The nice thing about a lead ad is Facebook auto-fills in that information, because they already have your name. They have the email address you use to sign up for Facebook and create that account. Facebook knows all. <laughs> they know all. <laughs> With a conversion ad, though, that person has to type in their name and their email address. So there's some friction already. Plus, you better create a landing page if you're using a conversion ad that loads fast and that looks good on a mobile device. And I've found that most people don't know what they're doing with that. And so just yesterday, I had an ad that I saw and I thought, 
I want to get this. And it was a conversion ad, and it took me to a landing page. But after two seconds, Facebook said, this page is loading slowly. Do you want to continue? And I said no. <laughs> so they <laughs> lost me right there. So those are some of the differences and why I use a lead ad. Now, the downside of a lead ad, though, is once they give you their first name and their email, which was filled in to the form, and they click OK, you've now got their information. They have joined your mailing list. Then they have to click a button to go to your reader magnet, which for me, I just uploaded uh, the media file of my PDF document. And this is important. On the page, I in the SEO settings, I clicked no index. That way it won't show up in Google results. It won't show up on any page. People will only get to that document if they've signed up. Now, with a lead ad, you then have to get their information, their name and their email somehow to your email service provider. So there's an extra step. If you've done a conversion ad and they go to your website, hopefully you've used that subscription form like we've already talked about from your email service provider. And for free, it adds it them to your mailing list. So Facebook just gives you like a CSV, comma-separated file, of everyone who's filled out the lead ad. They don't connect to MooSend or the other ESVs to trigger automations? That is correct. Last I checked, there are only third-party integration services for that. Okay. Uh, which I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> it's not that hard, actually, but it's a factor you need to be aware of. So you can manually go in on Facebook and download the list of people who have joined since the last time you downloaded. The, the downside of that is, you know, if you're only doing it once a week, they're not getting any future emails from you for that week. And so the most popular app integration or workflow integration service is Zapier, but they have a free option, but most people would have to spend $20 a month for their starter plan. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R, Zapier. And you just connect them to your Facebook page and to the ad and to your email service provider, and all the big names are, work with Zapier. The one I use is called Integromat.com, I-N-T-E-G-R-O-M-A-T, Integromat.com. And their free plan will be good enough for most people. And it does the same thing. It's not quite as user-friendly, but it's not hard to figure out. You connect it to your Facebook page and tell which ad you want it to draw uh, people's information from. And you connect it to your email service provider and tell it which mailing list you want them to join. And so there is that extra step, but it's not too complicated. There are a bunch of other third-party syncing services. There's SyncSumo and a whole bunch of others. So, and, and it may be that your email service provider has a direct integration. While you're talking, did a quick search, and I think MailerLite has a direct integration based off of a quick scan of a web page. So if it doesn't work yet, don't come complaining to me, but it looks like they may have that already built out. But that is good to know that if you're not paying for one of these services, which again, you're paying for the ads. So paying for these services, it's all part of the budget. And I would recommend uh, using one of the services so that you can get them directly into the automation so that they then get, I'm going to throw out another buzz term here, but we have episodes on it, a drip sequence or an onboarding sequence. You're welcome to this email list email that goes out to everybody, you know, a day after they subscribe. You want that to come a day after they subscribe or an hour after they subscribe, not a week and a day after they subscribe when they've already forgotten who you were. That's exactly correct. Yeah. And so those services will check. You can tell it, check every 15 minutes, check every 30 minutes, and it will do that and do all the work behind the scenes for you. 
Perfect. So now you've got your ads set up. You're mostly running lead ads, it sounds like, rather than conversion ads. Correct. Um, yep. And, you know, the more sophisticated you are, the more you can pull off conversion ads, right? If you're putting the pixel on your website and you have good landing pages built and we have an episode on how to build landing pages. But the lead ads definitely seem like, for most authors, probably the easier way to go about it. You just have to be willing to pay for this extra piece. So how did you go about identifying who to target with your ads? How did you find Christian pacifists on Facebook? Yeah, this is where you spend a lot of your time trying to optimize the ads. The big three are your write-up, the image, and your audience that you target. So for the audience, Facebook has a lot of data. And so you can target age, gender, location, what country they're in, their interests and other demographics, their education level. And I like to think of it So I'm going to give two answers to that question. How do you find the audience to target? Initially, before you have a sizable email list, you got to target different demographics, different felt needs. And I like to think of it like overlapping circles. So in one group, for example, I had interests that were related to justice, nonviolence, peacemaking. So in the ad creation process, you can type in different ideas and it will show you, is this something that you can target? So Nobel Peace Prize was one of mine. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was one. Social change, peace and conflict studies, activism. I had ideas like that. They were all lumped in one group. Then you can say either create a second group that is to be excluded or one thing in the second list must also be included. And so in that list, what I noticed was if I just had nonviolence as my interest, most of the people who saw the ad affiliated with Buddhism, not Christianity. So in my second list, I had things like people who follow Shane Claiborne or Beth Moore, or who are Mennonite, who are Anabaptists, who have an MDiv, a seminary graduate, etc., pastors, a whole bunch, you know, 20, 30 different things that were kind of related to Christian. And so what that does then is it says, show my ad to people who match at least one thing in that first list and one thing in that second list. So it's just the overlap. And that's the sweet spot to help target that audience. So that's what you initially have to do. The second answer is once you have at least a 1,000 people in your email list, you can create what's called a lookalike audience. And this is where the real magic happens and the cost per lead goes down. Now, this will depend on the quality of, of your email list. So I wouldn't just, you know, I used to be a missionary, but if I uploaded all the people who used to be on my prayer email list, that wouldn't be very helpful. But once I had a thousand people who had downloaded my reader magnet who were interested in peacemaking, I took that thousand people and from my email service provider, I downloaded a CSV file, just like you talked about earlier, and you uploaded it into Facebook. And Facebook goes through and says, hey, I know about 90% of these people, or in my case, since all my almost all my leads were already from Facebook, we know 100% of the people in here. And then you say, create a lookalike audience, and you can choose from 1% to 10%. So only show the ad to the top 1% of people who look like those people who already joined my mailing list. The advice I was given was to stick between 1% and 3%. And so you create that lookalike audience, and then Facebook does the work. Which is why, for example, if you did a search yesterday for best dog food to keep your dog healthy, tomorrow in Facebook, you'll start to see ads for dog food. This is how they do it. Facebook is gathering that data 
and seeing what you're interested in and showing you those ads. And that's where my cost per lead started to really go down from about 60 cents per lead down to about 40 cents per lead. And lookalike audience are based off of Facebook's artificial intelligence neural engine. So you're wondering like who does the programming for creating that lookalike audience? And the answer is, is that there's no human who does that programming that is done by a neural network. The computer is literally programming itself to find those people based off of all of the things that Facebook knows about you. And Facebook knows a lot about its users. Now it's access to data is getting reduced. So just in the last few weeks from when we record this, Apple declared war, or it, it declared war a year ago, but the f- opening shots were fired, and the new iOS 14.5 now allows Facebook users to opt out of inter-app tracking. And this doesn't mean that Facebook's not going to track you. It just means it's harder for them to do it if you're using an iPhone. But it still has all of the data it's collected on you for the past. So I did an episode couple months ago about big changes at Facebook. And this is one of the things we talked about. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it may be over the next year or two that lookalike audiences don't become as effective as they used to be because Facebook's access to data is reduced. That said, Facebook is really good at getting data on people. And it may be that, you know, for something simple like this, because you're talking about really major identifying things about somebody as a person. They believe in nonviolence. People, in my experience, who believe in nonviolence tend to make a lot of noise about it, at least on Facebook. (laughs) They're not quiet about it. And the same about religious affiliation. People typically are not very quiet about religious affiliation. So you're looking for things, at least in this instance, that are really easily targetable, regardless of app tracking. That may not be true for all authors, but for a lot of authors, you know, you're looking for people who go to Comic-Con and are teenagers, right, for your YA superhero book, right? It's like... Teenagers on Facebook probably are posting photos of them at Comic-Con. That's not something they're keeping secret from the world. And that's a very targetable thing. And the lookalike algorithm can find a whole bunch more teenagers like the ones you already have on your list. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I'm not surprised. You've done your homework, that iOS 14 update. So now you have to give permission for Facebook to track your data. I think you're right. I want to clarify one point. You're definitely right that it's becoming less effective. There's less data now not you know for Facebook to be able to create its lookalike audiences and thus it has to show your ad to more people to get a lead. I've noticed that in the last 3 weeks. That doesn't necessarily mean the cost per lead is going to go up because fewer people are advertising now and thus there's less competition and thus the cost to show your ad to a thousand people may go down. So only time will tell will the cost of of getting those leads go up or not. But the effectiveness of your ads has gone down a little bit over the last few weeks, yes. And when it comes to supply and demand for ads on Facebook, one tip if you're ever thinking about advertising on Facebook, don't do it in election season. (laughs) Because people are bidding on Facebook users, and you're bidding not just against other you know, Christian pacifists, but you're bidding on everyone who's interested in that group of Christian pacifists who are also in you know, 100 other different groups. And almost everyone, and especially in a presidential election year, is targetable. But even in an off year, right, like you're voting for governor or you're voting for senator, there's some big race and billions of dollars are being spent on Facebook targeting those folks, and it makes the ads potentially more expensive. Now, if you're targeting, you know, teenagers who go to Comic-Con, 
nobody's paying money to target teenagers <laughs> with political. Well, maybe some people are, but it may not make a big difference. But if your book is more political, so like Jason, for your book, which is kind of on the edge of some political topics, you may see your ads get really expensive around election time and then drop like the day after election, your cost per click may drop 10 cents per click. And you're like, my goodness, what happened? It's like all those bids from all those politicians all disappeared all on the same day. That's exactly right. You know, in my proposal, you have that suggestion, separate your platform and your marketing sections of your proposal. And so I've done that. And because my numbers are, are, I would say, medium on the email list, but small on social media, a strategy I've heard is to show your growth. You know, so when I said, you know, over the last year, I've grown an email list from zero to 6,000, averaging 500 new subscribers a month. So there's a little tip. But to get to your point about uh, election seasons, I didn't actually run my ad that whole year. So those 6,000 people actually were probably from about seven months of the year because things get really expensive during election season, but also during Christmas season. So from Black Friday until the new year, I stopped running my ad. So I'm doing some quick math here. 40 cents a lead times 6,000 people on your list. It looks like you spent about $2,2500 on email acquisition. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right, yeah. So realize that this strategy is a kind of pricey strategy. This is not a I don't want to spend any money kind of strategy. But this is the kind of strategy that works on social media. You can't create this by posting funny images and you know, doing interesting videos and all the free stuff people do on Facebook. People want to get this kind of results without spending money on Facebook, but those days are over. So if you're thinking that this episode is in conflict with my previous episodes about, you know, get off Facebook, it's not because what you're not hearing Jason say is, and I'm spending two hours every day posting interesting things on Facebook, hoping people will share it. No, he's not spending time on Facebook. He's spending money on Facebook. He's spending you know, $500, was it about $250 a month on Facebook ads? No, you're doing about $200 a month on Facebook ads. Obviously, some months more than others because of the election. And if you can afford that, you can show some really strong growth, and that's really impressive to publishers. So let's talk a little bit about the graphics. How did you create the graphics for your ads? How did you take that 3D cover and create an image specifically for your Facebook ads? That's a great question. So I used a 3D book mockup file. Originally, I used Photoshop, which I had on my computer. That can be expensive for people. Another great program now is Affinity, I believe it's called. And that's about $30, and it can open Photoshop files. So I made that 3D image. If you're not very tech savvy, if you haven't done much graphic design, then you probably want to use Fiverr or ask someone else to do it. And then I cropped it to a square size, 1080 by 1080 pixels is, I believe, what Facebook recommends. So we haven't talked about this, but you can put the ad in multiple locations. You can put it in stories in Facebook or Instagram. You can put it in the news feed. You can put it on the right-hand side for desktop computers. I found the cheapest is just the Facebook news feed by far. But you should experiment. You should try out multiple spots. So you can choose automatic placement or you can manually tell it where to go. For in the Facebook news feed, it tends to like square photos. So I did a 1080 by 1080. It's just the book with a light blue background. And then once I hit a thousand downloads, I added a little social proof, a little 
I don't know how you would describe it, a bow or something that, that says 1,000 plus downloads. And then when I hit 5,000 downloads, it said 5,000 plus downloads. But even then, I did an A-B test, a split A-B test to see which image was the best. So the only thing changed in the ad, like you've talked about on numerous episodes when you're testing, right, your marketing, change one thing and only one thing, see which one does best. And for me, it turned out that showing that social proof optimized the ad just a little bit, right? So that's how I did the image. That's great. And if you're not uh, Photoshop savvy, another tool that you might consider is Book Brush, which is specifically designed for authors to turn book covers into Amazon ads. And it will put little badges. If you're advertising an actual book, you know, listen now on Audible or download on Kindle. It does those sorts of badges for you. But if you are Photoshop literate, you don't need to use tools like that. You can just use Photoshop yourself. And I love the idea of adding social proof. Great way of working in the marketing psychology into advertising. People want to do what they see other people doing. So now you've built this list of 6,000 emails. You're still running the ads, I assume. So you've got kind of a monthly budget that you're able to continue growing. What kind of open rates and response are you getting on those emails? Yeah, so for getting the reader magnet, I send them straight to it. But then I also send them an email follow-up just in case they didn't decide to download it. I don't want them to lose it. And so that first email is probably not a true accurate representation of my open rate. It's about 26%, uh, but that's because people have already received the download. And then future emails in my drip you know, tend to be in that 26 to about 50%. The way I operate is I don't send out an email every week. You can do those drip automations, so you know an initial few emails dripping out. But then my strategy is I want to be relentlessly helpful for my readers. And so I personally, every author I've ever followed who sends out a newsletter every week, I've ultimately unsubscribed from at some point. Just the quality of their content isn't worth it for me. And so I try to send out something once every month to every two months. It needs to be high-quality content that they find really useful, but... I also don't want to annoy them. And then, of course, you always have to have an unsubscribe option there. You don't want to spam these people. Yeah. And once you get your contract, so right now you you want as many subscribers as possible because I know you're in bidding war with a bunch of different publishers. But once you have those contracts in hand, one thing you may consider is doing what's called an offboarding campaign, which is where you, and hopefully your email program does this. This is one of the weaknesses of MailChimp is that it's really hard to effectively offboard the inactives. Because some people signed up with an email address they never check. They gave you their Yahoo address and they never check it and they check their Gmail or vice versa. And with an offboarding campaign, you can identify those people. It's like, here are the people who've never opened an email or haven't opened an email in the last year. And then you send them two or three emails. It's like, hey, do you still want to keep getting emails? Because maybe the tracking didn't work for them. Maybe they have privacy settings set really high on their computer and they've been opening your emails, you just don't know it. But for most of them, they don't exist. They're phantom emails that you're paying for <laughs> that you don't need to uh, send emails to. And this happens to every list. And it, even a perfect list that was grown in all the best ways, people's email addresses change, right? They get fired from their job or they get a new job and their old work email, you know, it doesn't bounce for whatever reason. It just goes into, you know, an empty hole. And there's no reason to pay for those emails because it also reduces your delivery rate. So the more the higher your open rate is, the higher your delivery rate is going to be. And so wait, but once you get that contract in hand, you may be able to raise your open rate by purging some of the dead weight off your list. Your list is still young, so it's less of an issue. The author media list we've had going for 10 years plus 
and there's a lot of just good organic churn of somebody's email address they signed up with 10 years ago is no longer valid. But I love your idea of making sure that every email is viable. That's more important than hitting people every week. And you really only want to send an email at a frequency that makes sense. And I don't think a weekly frequency makes sense for most authors. If you're rapid releasing or if you have a big backlist. So I did an interview with Shatona Havig a while back. She has over 52 books. So every week she puts a new book on sale. And you know what? That's a valuable email. People like having a, a new book for sale and it gets people reading through her backlist. And they just buy the books on sale. And it's a great reward for being on her list. But for you, who you don't have an, a book out yet. It's not like you're doing a podcast episode every week that you want to tell people about. Yeah, there's a monthly frequency or every other month is a really solid frequency. So let's talk uh, real quick about ad copy. So you use the Photoshop to create the images. How do you decide what text to put in that ad? Yeah, so again, this is all about optimizing. And so you just test two different options for the description. A strategy I have is to make sure that my write-up that goes with the ad is not so long that it gets cut off and you get the dot, 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 and people have to click see more to see the rest of it. So it's got to be short and brief. So I'll try out different write-ups and sometimes I'm surprised which one does better. So trying to think off the top of my head, some of the ones I've used. Um, To a church that has become so quick to embrace violence, the early Christians offer a powerful alternative. You know, something like that was one. Another one was something like, Quote, God made iron for tilling, not killing, and 99 other quotes from the early church are not killing, though sadly they all don't rhyme. You know, things like that. <laughs> all right. So you try out different ones, and you just see which ones work best. That's a fun quote. You can tell that's an English original quote. So what else have you learned doing these ads? You know, you've been advertising for a year. You've been trying different things. I love that you're approaching it with the scientific approach where you're testing things. I can tell you've been listening to the show and I love how you're incorporating the ideas and I love that they're working. But what are some other tips that people could put into practice? Well, two other tips. You can use your ads to also help grow your Facebook page following. And the way to do that is there's that little bell symbol where you get notifications, right? If you're in Ads Manager, you click on that bell and you click show all notifications, and you'll find one that says something like, Jill and Bill and 15 others reacted to a link from your page. Help them see dot, 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 and the rest of the notification is cut off. You click on that, and these would be people who didn't necessarily download your reader magnet. What they did is they reacted to your ad. They did a thumbs up. They did a heart. Or, you know, like you talked about early on in this episode, mine gets a lot of backlash. In fact, most of my comments would be people who didn't download it and wanted to talk about how Christians are violent, right? So when you click on that notification, it brings up everyone who's reacted to your ad. And so then you can invite them to like your Facebook page. So those who gave a thumbs up or a heart, in other words, a positive reaction, I go through and I invite. And it's usually one out of five end up uh, liking my page. So that grows my page at a slower rate than my email list, but I'm squeezing everything I can out of my ads. So that's one little tip. The other is I put a link to sign up. I have a sign up page on my website to get the book. And I put that link in my Instagram bio. So people can click that. And that's a free way. That's not using an ad, right? But that's a free way to get people to also 
join your mailing list. Ultimately, though, you want to optimize your ads, and Facebook has a lot of great data where you can go through and you can see what did it cost to show the ad to men from age 40 to 55 versus age 30 to 32, and then women in the same age range. And you can optimize and you can say, okay, well, let me try showing this ad only to women in this age range or men in this age range. Different countries cost more, but if you're only publishing your book in the US and Canada, then what's the point of getting cheaper <laughs> leads from New Zealand and Australia or India, et cetera. So you, you don't want to just try to get the cheapest leads. You got to think the quality ultimately. But there's a lot of great data to see what's working best. You can even look at what devices were shown or used to get your ad. Was it an iPhone? Was it an Android? And you can target just to those devices. So there's, there's a lot. It gets complex. The nice thing is Facebook wants you to succeed because they want your money. And so there's some great tutorials out there, and you can actually sign up for free appointments with some of their staff that will help you try to optimize your ads if you're getting stuck and feel like it should cost less per ad, per lead. Yeah, once you start paying money to Facebook, you become Facebook's customer and suddenly they start caring about you and they want you yes. to succeed, which really does make a difference. And I will say, as you're doing these experiments and you're seeing the data in terms of demographics, whether it's men more than women or certain ages, that is really valuable data for the marketing team of your publishing company because they don't know that about your book. And this is one of the benefits of paying for advertising. Any kind of digital advertising is going to give you this data. It's not just Facebook. But Facebook is the, probably the easiest for a lot of authors because it's got so much psychographic targeting information. You're not targeting people based off of what search terms they're typing into Google. You're targeting them based off of what kind of person they are. Especially for a book like this, you're targeting really deep-seated core values in somebody. And they're not going and typing in Christian passivism into Google. Most of them aren't. Some of them are. And you may consider doing, you know, experimenting with Google ads to see if you can get a cost of reader acquisition at a similar price. But it's also really valuable to put into your proposal potentially because you can because it demonstrates a, a level of sophistication that a lot of authors don't have and and commitment. And the marketing person at the publishing company is the most likely to say no to a book. So, right? The editorial person brings the book to the pub board and they're already sold and they often are able to sell the other editorial people in the room. And it's the salesperson and the marketing person who often are the ones to say, no, I don't think we can sell that. But if you've got a proposal that's got a strong plan and you're demonstrating a platform and you've got this really good data, it's what makes your book interesting and why I'm not surprised that you've got, you know, competing bids or competing offers for your book. Cause it's like, yes, this person knows what they're doing. <laughs> they know how to find their audience because your publisher doesn't necessarily know how to find this audience. And so they need you to show them that you do know how to find your audience. Yeah. And this is even valuable if you choose to go indie, you know, push yourself to, to go through what can be admittedly a steep learning curve, but then you know how to do advertising to help promote your book once it's out. And you know your audience better, like you were just saying. So, yeah. Now, I wouldn't recommend for most traditional authors to promote their book with Facebook ads. Right? You're getting people to sign up for your free book for 40 cents a click. If you could sell your book for 40 cents a, a sale, it might make sense. But it actually, even then, it doesn't until you've filled out your advance. So... Let's say, I don't know, well, you don't have a con you haven't signed the contract yet, so you don't know what the terms are going to be. So I'm going to make up some fake numbers to illustrate this point. Let's say you have to sell 5,000 copies of your book to fill out your advance. That means for the first 5,000 sales, you make no additional money. You've already been paid that money in the advance. And so if you're paying 40 cents a click 
you're basically losing 40 cents for every one of those sales. And then once you do fill out your advance and you are getting a royalty, you're going to be making 80 cents to a dollar and 20 cents a copy. Typically, right? The different, lots of different factors, but let's say a dollar copy to keep the math simple. So you're able to buy readers that are making you a dollar and let's say they're costing you 50 cents. So that's a good deal. But the problem is you're spending the money now and you're getting the money back from your publisher six to 12 months later because they only pay every six months and then there's a royalty reporting period. And so you're in a terrible cash flow cycle. <laughs> and if your publisher goes out of business or there's some delay, you've basically lent a bunch of money to your publisher and the money, the finances just don't work. And the reality is almost no authors, I don't know of any traditional authors who can profitably advertise and make the money back with the royalty, even taking the cash flow issues off the table. It's not uncommon for indie authors to pay one, two, three dollars per sale, which if you're making five dollars a copy works. If you're making a dollar copy, it doesn't work. And obviously I'm oversimplifying the math here a little bit, but it does make sense for your reader, man, because once you get these people on your email list, you're not planning to just sell them the one book. You're planning to sell them multiple books into the future. And you're hoping that they you're building a relationship with them. You're hoping they'll forward your really valuable emails to their friends and that, you know, each one of them are kind of an ember in a different part of the forest to help the fire spread. So it does make sense for a reader magnet or it can if you can afford it. Not, you know, some people, when they heard that you're spending $200 a month, they fell off of their chairs and other people are like, I could set aside $200 a month. I could make that work. So different people are in different positions when it comes to advertising. Absolutely. It, it's not cheap. The way I looked at it is, you know, it's an investment and I would not have had multiple publishers competing for the book if it wasn't for growing this email list. And so in some ways it will have paid for itself with the advance. So yeah, it's an investment, you know, and then once the book is live, like you said, it may not make sense to continue to, to use ads to try to sell the book. And that's why I'll lean in more towards what I would call platform adjacents, friends who are influencers in different circles of influence and utilize their platforms. That's free. Those are friends, you know, I've invested in for years and I'll continue to use my platform as well. Exactly. Where can people find out more about you? And if they're interested in this reader magnet, we've been kind of talking around this whole time, where can they go to download it if they want to check it out? Yeah, my website is jasongporterfield.com, and there you can get a copy of The Reader Magnet for free. Again, it's 100 Early Christian Quotes on Not Killing. So one pro tip, if you do more, and I'm going to give this to you, and I'm going to give this to everybody else as well. If you do a bunch of podcast interviews, you may look into buying you know, 100 uh, quotes on not killing.com, something like that, and then have it redirect to a landing page. That's specifically for that. Something that's, you know, I came up with that URL off the top of my head. So that's not the tip. The top, the tip is if you have a good reader magnet, it may make sense to spend $10 to buy a domain to go with it that then sends people to the landing page. But in the meantime, go to jasongporterfield.com. This episode of Novel Marketing is brought to you by the Author Media Mastermind Groups. Do you wish that you had a mentor, somebody to help you along the way? Do you wish you had a team of people walking this publishing journey with you? Well, that's exactly what I offer in the Author Media Mastermind Groups. This is a mastermind group with you, me, and up to nine other writers. We meet every month. I get to know you, your challenges, your needs, your brand, and we've seen some incredible results with the authors in the mastermind groups. We have three groups right now. They're each limited to just 10 authors. Those groups are, the first one's for authors 
who want to sell more copies of the books they already have published on Amazon. The second group is for writers who want to get published for the very first time. And then the third group is for influencers who want to grow their influence through blogging, podcasting, and public speaking. If you would like my help, if you would like more personal application of the things that we teach on this podcast, apply to join one of these groups at authormedia.com. Our featured patron today is Michael Jack Webb, author of Infernal Gates. Time is running out for Ethan Freeman, an ex-Special Forces Ranger, to stop a conspiracy to free the Destroyer and his horde of fallen angels. So, Michael Jack Webb, thank you so much for supporting the show and for being a patron every month. And if you would like to become a patron, patrons get a bonus episode every month where I answer patron questions In a recent patrons-only episode, we covered search engine optimization, SMS marketing for authors, book cover strategies, author websites, literary universe marketing, and a lot more. If you're not getting the patrons-only episodes, you're really missing out. And you can become a patron and get those episodes for as little as $3 a month. It also helps us support the show, helps support the production of the podcast, and I really appreciate it. All of you who help support the Novel Marketing Podcast on Patreon.com. You have been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. and Jason G. Porterfield on the Novel Marketing Podcast. The blog version of this show was created by Shauna Letelier and the audio was edited by William Umstead. If you want to get that blog version or if you want to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, you can find all of that and more at AuthorMedia.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper. Don't forget, June is Patron Appreciation Month. If you become a patron this month, or if you're already a patron, you get lifetime access to the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. But patrons get way more than just access to that course. Here's a breakdown of the patron rewards. There's three different reward levels at different pledge prices. At $4 a month, you get access to the Tax and Business Guide for Authors, like I said, but you also get a bonus episode every month, the ability to ask live questions in the monthly Q&A episode, and over $800 worth of discounts on other author media courses and free book vault setup. At the $10 a month level, you get everything I just talked about in the $4 level, plus access to the podcast host directory. This is a directory of the email addresses and contact information for over 100,000 podcast hosts that may be interested in having you on as a guest to talk about your book. And you also get access to AI Thomas. This is a GPT-4 chatbot that I've been working on for the last several months, and it answers questions based on over 500 episodes of the Novel Marketing Podcast and the Christian Publishing Show. But here's the best part. It cites its sources, so you can click to read the blog post that inspired the answer. So even if you don't like AI, you can think of it as a super-powered search engine to help you find the Novel Marketing episode that specifically answers the question that you have. And then at the $25 a month level, you get everything I've already talked about, plus your book featured from time to time on the podcast. If you want my help in your publishing journey, become a patron today, and you can become a patron at novelmarketing.com slash patron. That's novelmarketing.com slash patron.